Thank you, Shane. Behold the Lamb of God. What does it mean to behold something? We don't use that terminology, but what might that mean to behold something? What, what are you doing? Uh, apparently it is a rhetorical question to to perceive to see it's it's uh, all your attention check look at this and and don't take a not just a quick glance but take a good long hard look contemplative look when we behold something i want you to consider this and that's what we want to do this morning is behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and gives us life We are in the book of Psalms this morning. That's what our study is on our communion Sundays, is to consider the Psalms, to consider God's tunes, because these are the worship songs of the Old Testament. And we have been looking at Psalms 42 and 43, tackling both of them at the same time. And this is part two of the sermon entitled The Parched Soul. And I'll read it in just a second. But it has to do with the psalmist is feeling very dry. Have you ever felt dry in your spiritual walk? I mean, sometimes it's like God couldn't be more real. And then other times you really wonder and you search your soul. What's going on here? God, where are you? Where are all those feelings that I used to have? Where are the manifestations, the the very obvious ways that you would meet me and make yourself known to me? And so in this psalm... As I read it, you'll see the psalmist is longing for the feelings to come back, longing for the confidence, the assurance, uh, the fellowship, the, the kinship to come back. He misses the benefits of having God so close in his life, and it's taking its toll on him. It's consuming him. And last time we looked at the idea that usually if we're feeling alienated from God, it's because there's some sin in our life. I mean, that's usually what it is. And if you ask somebody or you explain your symptoms to somebody, look, I'm dry. God's not there for me. I don't know what's going on. Usually they will say, well, what are you doing? What's your life look like? Is there sin in your life? Are you doing something you're not supposed to do? Or are you not doing something that you should be doing? Where's the sin? But in this case, as we read this, you'll find that there's no mention of sin in the psalmist's life. And that kind of, that's a tough place to be in because if, if uh, when there's sin in our life, when we remove that and we, we repent, we can be afresh. You know, we can be renewed in our walk with the Lord. And God, in His grace and mercy, just comes back to us as a loving Father with the open arms and the signet ring and so forth. But what do you do if there's no sin to remove and you still are feeling alienated with God? That's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. There's sin is not there to dampen and separate. But it seems like to this psalmist, God's vanished. He's just vanished. Um, so last time in part one, we looked at this condition of the parched soul. And it, and it kind of sounded like God had abandoned him. And... I did not say in my sermon that God had not abandoned him purposely because I I had this idea of kind of like pause for effect. Well, maybe leave people thinking, did God abandon the psalmist for effect? So a whole month has gone by. Somebody suggested to me that I probably shouldn't have done that because 
uh, they suggested that maybe what if someone heard that sermon and didn't come back for part two and walked away thinking God can abandon us. So that may not have been a good idea. But hopefully I can redeem myself this morning if anybody had the thoughts that, yes, we really can be forsaken by God if we are a true believer. And I will, in the very end of this message, I will assure you that that is not a possibility for a child of God, to be forsaken or to be abandoned. So we looked at the condition of the part soul, and this morning we want to look at what might cause this kind of condition. And then we will also look at some remedies. What can we do if we find ourselves in this place in our spiritual walk of just really feeling like God is not there for us? Let's read Psalms 42 and 43. And this is a mascal of the son of Korah. So it's not King David writing these words. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation in my God. Psalm 43, shorter but very similar. That's why they go together. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. And God, oh God, my God, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So you see, he's, he's really torn up. Because one sentence he's saying, you, you've forgotten me. Why? What did I do to deserve this? Why are you gone? I feel rejected by you. I feel abandoned by you. But then he turns around and, and he's asking himself, but why would your soul feel like this? Why do you feel so downcast? So he's really struggling with the realities of his, his uh, experience with God in this. So what are some possible causes of this kind of condition of 
someone who just thirsts for God so much. And this thirstiness that he explains, like the deer panting for flowing streams. If you remember, it's really describing a, a drought where you watch, you know, animals just kind of struggling in a desert type climate, looking for any kind of moisture so that they continue to live. And that's what his soul feels like. It's in a literal drought. So here are some possible causes for this. And these come straight from his own words, not from anywhere else in the Bible. We will just take time to listen what he's thinking and how he's wrestling. What kind of conclusions is he is he drawing? Several things are going on in his life. First thing, Christian community. He says in verse two, when shall I come and appear before God? And then again, in verse four in the first Psalm, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So what is he talking about? He's longing. He's remembering the times of Christian fellowship. That's what this is all about. And that took place in the temple because some of you might say, well, what's wrong with him? What, why does he feel like he has to go to the temple or to the church where all the believers are to experience God? Doesn't he know that you can just experience a God in the privacy of your own home and with your personal devotions? Well, yeah, you, you can do that. But for Israel, the, the, the true worship life revolved around the temple because that's where God was. That's where the ark was. It was a representation and the actual dwelling place of the living God. And so the life of worship would would happen as you drew close to this geographical place, wherever it was. It was at a fixed place now because of Solomon and David. Um, but before the, the tent, and the presence of God moved in the wilderness until he brought them into the promised land. So he's longing for that, that the Christian community, you were required to go to the temple at least a few times a year. You're welcome to go all year round or any time of year. But as a as a uh, Jew, as a child of God, you were required to go at least several times a year. And he is really missing <clears throat> this Christian fellowship. He's he's missing this corporate worship. And that's possibly or definitely one of the reasons that he is feeling parched of. So he's cut off from this. We don't know exactly why. Maybe he was taken prisoner temporarily. Maybe he's visiting family. Maybe he has responsibilities. We, we don't know why. But for whatever reason, he's cut off and he cannot go to the temple. And so he's cut off from the vibrant lives of the other believers in God. And he's panting for these things. This kind of community, because this kind of community hydrates the worshipers. Corporate, corporate worship and Christian community is God's grace to keep us hydrated spiritually. It's a means of grace in that way. It's also a means to quench the thirst in our souls. How many times have you come needing God? And you come to church on a Sunday, you're thirsty, you're dry, whatever, and your thirst is quenched. Something happened during that service or maybe in a, in a personal conversation with another believer that just satisfied you or hydrated you. And that's the purpose. 
Now, in our individualistic society, we, we're not always so convinced how much we need one another. You know, we we kind of prefer the Lone Ranger type attitude or self-sufficient attitude. And so we have to work hard as believers to keep this biblical truth in sight. We have to work hard at believing what the Bible says when he says we are the body of Christ. And not only are we, but we need the body of Christ. To be the Christian, to be the child that God has called us to be, in its fullness, we need one another. We are, the church is designed to be interdependent. It's not designed, God didn't, didn't redeem us to be individual, to remain as individuals. We have our personal lives, but the light of the world is the church corporately. And of course, Unity. When believers come together in unity, it's a witness to the world and it delights God's heart. So for us to, to worship him in the privacy of our own homes delights God's heart. But that's just part of the light he desires for us to worship him as we have and will continue to do this morning. By removing ourselves from our homes, making the trip, however far that may be, to come together. This is pleasing to God. It's a matter of obedience. But if you want to delight the Father, this is one way to do it. And so this psalmist is feeling dry. He's longing for those times to, to uh, go back with the multitudes and the saints. He really values it. He values the church life, the Old Testament church life. You know, it, it gets to the point sometimes in our devolving spirituality in our culture today Church is less and less valued. And people, you know, church is kind of becoming a necessary evil. Do I have to go to church? You know, it's boring. There's so many other things I could be doing. It's just we're missing out on the value of it. And this psalmist can't get enough of the Christian community. He feels like he's really missing out. So in order for... Uh, for the saints to get all of God, you might say, we need all of the saints together to get all of God. It's kind of a package deal because there's things that we can only discover about God through the eyes of others, through something that we cannot generate in and of our, ourselves. It has to come from an outside source. You are my outside source. Of course, God's word and the Holy Spirit, but God's saints are my outside source. C.S. Lewis used to explain it like this in his book, The Four Loves. He had two very, uh, very, very dear friends, Charles and Ronald. And he said when one of his friends died, his friend Charles died. He thought to himself, well, now that Charles is out of the picture, I guess I'll just get to know Ronald even better and get even closer to my good friend, Ronald. I'll have him all to myself. But he says that's not what happened. He found that Ronald was different without the presence of Charles, without the, without the other friend in the mix. Because they brought different things out of each other. Um, and so... Uh, C.S. Lewis couldn't bring these kind of things out of Ronald that Charles could bring out of Ronald. So it wasn't as an enjoyable relationship. 
And he appreciated the richness that Charles would add to the relationship and what he would bring into the interactions. So his point is that one person cannot bring out the entire character or nature of another person. And I think you'll find that that's true. We need to see people in different scenarios, different occasions, faced with different joys and sorrows, uh, interacting with different personalities, senses of humor and things in order to really know the full character or nature of a person. And trust me, it's true. Uh, As a pastor, um, if somebody finds out I'm a pastor, they immediately act different around me. Because they want to display their spiritual maturity or their righteousness. And they're not going to keep revealing all their flaws and failures and weaknesses of character. So I might be in a conversation with somebody. They might just be cussing up a storm. uh, Talking about who knows what, maybe filth. And then if it ever gets to the point where they say, well, what do you do for a living? Well, actually, I'm I'm a pastor. Change. So... The, the idea is, uh, if, when pe- because people know I'm a pastor, you're, you're just not going to act the same around me as you will other people. I'm going to bring something different out in you, based on who I am. You're going to bring something different out of other people based on who you are. We talk to, to different people based interacting with per- their personality, their character, and their nature. So... He goes on to say, if this is true for one another, how much truer is it for God? Because we need one another and how we interact with God in order to fully understand God. So all the saints are necessary to understand or at least to try to capture or vision or get to know all of God. The psalmist is missing God in this way. He's missing him Because he doesn't hear all the other voices praise him. He's not seeing the excitement or perhaps the dread. Perhaps there were those who know this is just boring. I'd rather not be here. I'm only here because my parents made me or to look good or whatever. He's missing out on that. But also those that are truly hungry for God. We benefit from those who are truly hungry for God as well. And we get to know God in this way. When I went last year to the um, pastor's conference in Kentucky, we were in uh, the Yum Stadium. KFC uh, built it or whatever, had something to do with KFC. Anyway, it was the the KFC Yum Stadium. Anyway, I was there with 10,000 believers, mostly men. And when when we worshiped together, it just was a different experience. It exalted God and gave glory to God in a different way. I don't experience that here. I, I love our worship and appreciate it. But that was a different manifestation of God that I would have not have known had I not experienced that. So worshiping God with all the saints in mind, with different experiences, different cultures even, you worship God in, in Africa or Guatemala or in the Middle East with the different character and nature of people. You will get to know God more richly and fully based on how they interact with him. It's a beautiful experience. And so he was intended to be known personally, but God is intended to be known corporately. 
all of the saints to know all of your God. So maybe if we go through a, a, perhaps a, a parched season of our soul, maybe it's just something small. It's not as grand as what the psalmist is experiencing, but maybe just a small season. Possibly this is something we're missing out on. The community of believers, the communion of the saints, corporate learning, corporate worship, corporate living before the very face of God. If we're not a part of that, like we need to be plugged into that, it can cause a thirst. We, we can grow stale in our spirituality. It, bec- it can become monotone because all we're bringing to the table in our spirituality is what we have to bring. And we do not have enough in ourselves, though we might think we wish we did, to bring to the table to walk with God like we need to walk. So this can expand our souls. What's another possible reason for this condition of the soul? So it wasn't sin. Uh, Maybe it's the Christian community. Maybe not. But another reason is what the pagan community might have to say about your Christianity. What the pagan community, the unbelievers, might have to say about your walk with God. This psalmist is one of the reasons he is in tears. Psalm 42, 3. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where's your God? Where's your God that you believe in? And then again in verse 9. I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me, where is your God? So he's already feeling weak. He's already feeling parched. And then to add to that are the comments and the mockings and the tauntings of the, his fellow, uh, the, the community of the unbelievers, you might say. What, the, the, there is a certain vulnerability by the way, to call yourself a Christian. You realize that. Like when baptism is the external expression of an internal change, and it is an intention for us to make our profession of faith public. It was never meant to be some little secret that we hide in here, and it's just between me and God. It is meant to be public, and that's the reason for baptism. But when we go public, when we tell people we're believers, there's a vulnerability that comes with that because now they know. Now they know that you claim to worship the one and only God. And they can look at your life to see, well, what's that supposed to be like? Because a lot of times we get saved and we witness to people and we talk to them about the goodness of God. You wouldn't believe how great God is. You wouldn't believe how he answered this prayer in my life. And we prayed for this sickness and God healed my child or my marriage was a mess and God healed that. And you're witnessing. And these are great opportunities to witness to other people about the goodness of God. But then when we suffer hardship, then when we pray for our child and our child doesn't get well or perhaps even their life is ended or our marriage does fall apart or one of our one of the spouses steps out or our work situation falls all to pieces. And we really haven't there's not that sin in our life. Well, then other people, especially those we perhaps we've witnessed to who maybe they're hard hearted or they don't want to believe in God. That's a great opportunity for them to seize. And say, so, so where is this God in your life? The God that you 
witness to me? You want me to believe in this God? You want me to trust in this God? Your life is a mess. It's falling apart. Why would I ever want to believe in a God like that? Because isn't he just the God that only mends the broken pieces? Surely he wouldn't allow any kind of sickness or even heart pain or mind pain. Any kind of discomfort. He's not the God of discomfort, is he? He's a God of comfort. And so this makes a lot of times it'll make us look like fools in the community. If we've said, hey, God is great. You need to believe in this awesome God. He's changed my life. And then our lives turn into a mess some kind of way, some kind of hardship. It's hard. And it's that vulnerability. We are all open to that vulnerability that can be seized by those who could care less about us or even more so care less about God. It's just another reason for them to not believe in God. It can wear us down. The fact of the matter is, we don't have all the answers. We are vulnerable, you know, as Christians. We can't put an answer to everything that happens in our lives. Sometimes it's just, it's just God being the sovereign God that He is. We have to wrestle with these kind of things. He's the God of the flood and the flame. He's the God of the earthquake, the rains, the floods, and also the gentle breezes, and the God of the droughts. And these accusations can assault our faith, and they can become huge sources of temptation. Yeah, why am, why am I in this? This isn't really what I thought I signed up for. I thought things just were all going to go smooth when I... When I confess Christ. Maybe my unbelieving friend has a good point. My life was a mess before Christ. Now it's a mess with Christ. What's the difference here? And it can become a huge temptation. Of course, the temptation is to only focus in on the visible. To only focus in on the, the surface felt things. And to forget about all the foundational truths that make salvation possible. And the unity of Christ that we have. And eternal life. But if the enemy can get us to only focus in on one or two little things and get us obsessed with those, it can cause us to stray and question God. Is it worth it? Why would anyone want to believe in a God of a person whose life is not prospering? A valid question. It's something that we need to be prepared for. When we go through these dry seasons, this vulnerability, the mocking of our enemies, they accuse the very character of God. One thing that we, we need to be careful of in our culture is people who put words in God's mouth and give answers. One of the things that... Uh, I noticed that there's a new movie out called The Shack based on the book called The Shack. And um, I read that book. It was very, very intriguing. It was a great read, but it was very dangerous because this person put words in the mouth of God and did not always draw the right theological conclusions. As a matter of fact, personally, I thought it was heretical. I haven't seen the movie on the screen, but I just would... Encourage you to read it with a theological, I mean, to view it with a theological mindset if you see it, because it's a dangerous thing to do to put words in the mouth of God. 
based on our own conclusions or based on our own life experience. And that's exactly what that entire book was about. A, a, a real person who was hurt by the church and who was hurt by God. And in my opinion, drew very, very dangerous conclusions. So perhaps the pagan community can also wear us down. The people that we may have witnessed to mocking us. A third possibility is our usefulness. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What does he remember? How I would go with the procession, with the throng, with the multitudes to the house of God. And lead them. Lead them in procession to the house of God. Lead them with songs of praise in keeping with the festival. So this psalmist is not just a musician, but he is a worship leader. He leads the saints. In their songs of praise, he leads them from one place to another as they come into the very presence of God, having already singing, already singing their songs of praise on their lips. And he wants to go back and experience the joy of ministering to God's people as a worship leader once again. That's what he's thinking about. That experience excites him. And, the, and just remembering that he used to do that serves to water his soul, that usefulness in the kingdom of God. Philip Keller often says there are two things that can often cause us to be dry, and they have to do with input and output. And either of those things get out of kilter, and we can become spiritually dry. If we're not, get, if we're not receiving enough, if we're not feeding our souls enough, enough input there, then we can become dry and stagnant. Likewise, if we're not giving enough, if we're not putting out enough, it can also have a negative effect. And we can become stagnant and dry. And things can feel very, very unrewarding. So there are times that we need to receive more, but there's also times that we need to give more. He's missing this giving part. He's missing ministering in the way that God raised him up and equipped him to the other saints. So it's the output. And he wants to minister to other people. He wants to do that. You know, the biblical principle is that in the end, it's always greater to give than receive. It's more blessed. There's, there's, there's more richness in it. There's more happiness in it. There's room for both. But in the end, it's always greater to give. And that's what he longs for. <clears throat> you know, it, it helps us. When we have the output and when we want to minister to others as a part of our Christian growth. Because then we get to experience and hear the burdens of others. The struggles of others. What's going on in their lives. How they're dealing with it. And, we re- and it helps our perspective to not only be on ourselves. But it opens our minds and it opens our hearts to what other people are struggling with. What other people are thinking. And it helps us keep afloat. And it helps us stay dependent upon God because we realize, wow, we're so dependent on God for so many things. And it gives us compassion for others. If we just take in and don't give up, we can just shrivel up and dry up. And as God pours himself into us, the Apostle Paul said, God's grace is always sufficient. So no matter how much I give, though I may I may grow weary And it's harder sometimes than others. 
God just does it through me. His grace is always there for me, guiding me. If we only take in and don't give out, it can cause spiritual health problems. It's just like the physical analogy. If we only take in calories, right? All we're doing is taking in and we're not burning any off. We're not putting any out. Sooner or later, we're going to have to see the doctor for one reason or another. Same thing can happen spiritually. Another possible reason for the, the um, heart soul is physical health. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where's your God? So he, this guy, he's so torn up that he, he can't stop crying. The tears are flowing and he's, he can't sleep. It's a day or night thing. He can't even sleep. He is so heavy hearted. Now there have been a, and he's not eating. There's been a very few times in my life when I was so distraught I couldn't eat. There was a few but very few. As usually I do just the opposite. I want the food because it's the comfort. But he can't eat. And so he is in such an emotionally lonely place that all he can do is cry. And not get, he's not getting a lot of sleep. So physically he's not being taken care of. Or he's not taking care of himself in that way. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that we need to be careful about taking care of our bodies when we go through these spiritual times of, of uh, thirst because if we lack health, physical health, it does play a part into our spiritual health. Of course, it makes sense because God created us body, soul, and spirit. We're one entity. We're not just one of those things, the emotions or physical or spiritual. We're all of those things in one kit, one package. They all interact this And Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor before he became a doctor of theology. <clears throat> he says, does someone hold the view that as long as you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what the condition of your body is? Well, you will soon be disillusioned if you believe that. Physical conditions play their part in all this. So in other words, there are certain physical ailments which tend to promote depression. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are great illustrations in the scripture of this. If you recognize, however, that the physical may be poorly, partly responsible for your spiritual condition and make allowances for that, you will be able to deal with the spiritual. So sometimes we can actually go through spiritually difficult times when there's nothing spiritual about it. What it is, is we're not physically taking care of ourselves. And that affects our spirit. So we might not need more devotions. What we need uh, is more veggies. So then we have another possibility for the parched soul. And my answer to this is why might I be experiencing a parched soul? Because God. Because God, God is God and we don't always have the reasons for everything. We can't always. It's great when we can put our finger on things and make the corrections or at least know where we stand. But we don't always have that promise or that guarantee. Sometimes we may feel a lack of the presence of God and it's not sin. We're taking care of ourselves physically. We're still worshiping with the saints and we're not even being mocked by unbelievers 
Sometimes it's just because God is God. And will God let us have a dry time? Can He do that? Yeah. He can do that. The saints of the the church fathers of the saints of old described it in these terms. Spiritual desertion. So they're trying to figure out, okay, this is a real experience that Christians have. How do we describe it accurately, theologically, without forsaking God's truth? So they came up with this illustration. It is, they said, the arms of God are always under you. They are always with you. They are always holding you up and sustaining you. Always, always, always. But sometimes you can feel them and sometimes you can't. So the promise is that God is always there for us. The promise isn't that we will always feel it or feel it to the same degree. We all will acknowledge emotional swings and emotional highs and spiritual highs and lows. So the way some would call it the dark night of the soul, that's a little different. But so the arms of God are always there. We just can't always feel them. Will God allow us times where we cannot feel those wonderful, strong Sure arms under us? Yes, he will. Now, there are reasons for it. There are reasons for it. But we can experience those, those times where it's a real thing. You really, but God is there, but your feelings are not. So... These are uh, some possible causes to the parched soul. Now, what are some remedies? We'll close with that. won't take as long. But by listening to him analyze his life, think through what he's experiencing, what can we gain from this? What is he doing about it? Well, first of all, self-talk. I talked a little bit about this last month in part one. He asked himself the question, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you all torn up and anxious? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again to quote him, says, Do you know, when you go through one of these conditions, every morning you're going to get up and your heart is going to be talking to you. You can either spend a day listening to your soul Or you can spend the day talking to your soul. It's up to you. I thought that was pretty clever there. So there there are times when we're going to wake up. We're going to go through seasons. And our soul is going to want to do all the talking. And it's going to have lots of things to say. Your life is a mess. Should you have ever believed? Are you really better off today than you were before you believed in Christ? When you look at these things. Is God even really there? Does he even really exist? I mean, based on the way you're feeling, how could you ever know for sure? Will you ever feel better about yourself? Will your circumstances ever change? You're probably stuck like this for the rest of your life, not knowing and an emotional mess. So the soul can have lots to say to us or we can just let that happen and let it build. Let the enemy's thoughts come in there as well. To destroy us. Or we can just put a stop to it. And start talking back to our souls. And say look that's it. That, that's not getting you anywhere. No more self pity parties. 
Put your hope in God. Get your focus. Look at something different. Think about things. Change your routine. Do something different. Don't just be passive in this. Snap out of it. Put your hope in God. Trust in God's word. Stop trusting in your miserable feelings. Look at life through God's eyes. You can't always trust your own eyes. What you're seeing is only part of the picture. And it's not the main part of the picture. You need to look at life differently. And we can wake up and tell ourselves these things. We can hear it from other people. But the fact of the matter is these are decisions we have to make for ourselves. Other people can't make these decisions for ourselves. Second thing we can do for a remedy, self-talk and then self-analyze. So here's a good question. If he's saying, look, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. A question might be, well, wait a minute. Where is your hope if it's not in God? You're not putting your hope in God. You're telling yourself to be, put your hope in God. So then where is it if it's not in God? Maybe some of the times we go through dry, well, droughts, spiritual thirsts is for God to reveal to our hearts what they actually have been hoping in. And maybe they have not been hoping in God. There might be something that we need to know. Something that might need to be revealed to us. Perhaps there are some false sources of hope that we have been clinging to. So, if we have relationships, sometimes relationships can get way too important to us more important to us than God. Uh, don't be surprised if God might remove a relationship out of your life. Because it's become too important. Or at least reveal that to us. You know, there's, there's times where uh, even great people of God can become too important to us. You know, a, a great worship leader leaves the church and the church is just like, what do we do without that worship leader? He was everything to us. Wait a minute, God's supposed to be everything to us. Or a great pastor moves on or leaves or retires and and leaves us feeling empty and thirsty. Maybe our hope was just in that person. We we forgot about the God of that person. So where where's our hope? If if things are taking out of our lives and it leaves us a mess, then what were we really relying on in our lives? Was it God? So what are we hearing? What are we leaning on most? Who is our true Savior? So the psalmist is missing things in his life. He's missing the music. He's, he's missing ministry. He's missing the multitudes. His spiritual feeling of peace and goodwill is gone. And God, in essence, could be saying, well, what were you really relying on? Those things are part of the picture and important. What's the foundation? Is your joy, does your joy hinge primarily upon the Lord? If God's always there, then there's always a reason to have joy, no matter what happens to us circumstantially. Maybe our joy was in the wrong thing. So that God removes it, we find ourselves empty of joy. That's a good thing to know about ourselves. We have to be careful about our feelings. C.S. Lewis used to say, your feelings are not God. And a lot of times we want to make our feelings God. If things don't feel right, we start blaming God for it. Because we want the Christian experience to be a certain feeling. Feelings are important, but feelings are not God. Which brings me to the third thing. 
Do right, even if you don't feel right. Do right. He says, I'm downcast. I don't know why. I don't know exactly what's going on. But here's what I do know. I will praise God, yet will I praise Him. What that means is, I'm just going to keep singing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep living for Him until what I long for comes back to me. I'm going to keep doing the right thing until He returns, until I can feel those arms that are under me again. Our tendency when we're dry is to stop praying. Well, I'm not getting anything out of it. Why should I keep coming to church? Why should I keep praising? Why should I keep having my devotions? I'm not getting anything out of it. God's not meeting me like He used to. That's our tendency. That's a wrong thing. That's a wrong response. He's saying, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it. Because God will return. This will be restored. And he uses his memory. He remembers the good things. The multitudes in that sense and the worship and the songs were good to him. A lot of times when we get dry, all we can think about is the bad. And we forget. And he says, notice that he says, I remember. Much of the Christian life is remembering God. It's remembering truths that you've already learned that you've lost sight of. Because we will get fixed on one, little, one or two little situations in our life. And we forget how grand God was to us just six months ago. God delivered us from an impossible situation. And then ten years ago, or the day of our salvation, we forget all of the wonderful blessings because we're so obsessed with this one little thing. Remember the big God. Do the right thing, even if you don't feel right. And then lastly, persevering power. Verse 5, I shall again praise Him. I feel abandoned at the moment. I am honestly, I'm devastated. I don't know what's going on here, but I will persevere. This is only temporary. God will return. I, I will sense him again. I will be hydrated spiritually again. My thirst will be quenched, whatever it is I'm experiencing. And I may not feel God's arms, but I know that they are there. And my covenant to God is not a ring of feelings. It's a ring of promises. Not feelings. I remember um, well, when I got married, you know, a new thing is I never wore jewelry or anything. A new thing is to have this ring on your finger. And I used to always mess with it with my thumb because it kind of bothered me at first. And then I got used to it, but I never stopped messing with it. It was a habit. And then we came from South Carolina to visit Kirk and Mary Lou in Burkeville. And it was a snowstorm and I had to get out and de-ice my window by hand. I think my hand got so cold and shriveled up that my ring fell off. Never found it again. So I get back. Don't realize that I get back late at night to their house and I'm doing this. And all of a sudden I feel it's not gone. It's not there. And there was this great sense of insecurity. I had to remind myself that's just the ring. It's not the marriage. It's not the covenant. It's just the ring. Our feelings are just a part of it. It's not the covenant. God, it's the promise and the truth that's there. Just because we don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. Everything is still there. So, yeah, there'll be times where we feel deserted, um, but we never are deserted, though we may feel it. And here's why. And this is what we're going to celebrate in our time of worship and then in our in the Lord's Supper. We we will never be forsaken or deserted by God as children of God because Christ was forsaken for us. 
That's the reason for the cross. That's the reason for the shedding of the blood and the atonement. Why have you forsaken me, O my God? He was forsaken so that we would never be abandoned, so that we would never be deserted, never be forsaken. So the truth is in uh, in the cross. So let's just concentrate on the Lord this morning and satisfy our thirsty souls if they are thirsty as we partake of the Lord's Supper and commune with Him and as we continue to sing our praise as the saints of God corporately. May God bless the preaching of His Word.